0: Well, it's been a joy to be here on opening days of college, and it's been good to see some good friends with Brother Lay. It's good to see my good friend Brother Lay here. Brother Lay out here? She's in her. There's Brother Lay. It's good to see you, Brother Lay. Thankfully, I spent some time with you and the Weavers. And, you know, my friendship with um, Dr. Getch and Dr. Rasmussen goes back, I think, to 1997 or 1998 and uh, just rejoicing this uh, the opportunity to serve the Lord together in different parts of state, but we, we catch up with each other several times during the year and I'm thankful for them. I encourage you as students to glean as much as you can from these men and uh, from their presence and from the faculty here, they're all investing their lives in you and that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. I understand that today has been a very busy day and so some of you after having dinner and being walking around and doing things like that, you're probably a little bit tired, so I hope I can do my best to keep you awake tonight and keep you ready for the services this evening and that God could bless. Reminds me of a story of uh, in the country of Italy, there was an old Italian man who lived alone in the country. Loved gardening. But he uh, was at the age where gardening was a little more tougher for him to hoe and dig and break up the fallow ground, things like that. And he had a son named Vincente. And Vincente was a good boy, except he got in trouble, wound up going to jail, and was imprisoned there. The father wrote his son and said, Dear Vincente, I'm feeling pretty bad because it looks like I won't be able to plant my p- tomato garden this year. I'm just getting too old to be digging up the yard and digging up a garden plot, as you know, and... I know if you were here, my troubles would be all over. I know you would be happy to dig the yard for me. Love, Dad." A few days later, Vinny sent a letter back to his father. He said, "'Dear Dad, don't dig up the garden. That's why I buried the bodies. Love, Vinny. At four o'clock that morning, the FBI and all the local law enforcement came and dug up the entire yard. They tore it up, trying to find bodies. The next day, a letter arrived from Vinny. Dear Dad, you can now go ahead and plant the tomatoes now. That's the best I could do under the circumstances. Love, Vinny. And so tonight, we're going to try to do the best we can under our circumstances. Amen? Let's stand if you would. Isaiah chapter 66. Isaiah chapter 66. I'm going to give you kind of a teaching, preaching message tonight. I love to preach, but I think this one will preach and teach. And, uh, you know, just I I try to put myself in the shoes of every student for the last several months as I've been thinking about coming here. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of things you need when you start in Bible college. I didn't go through Bible college. I got my education through baptism by fire and the Holy Ghost. Amen. And, uh, but I had the privilege of watching, studying a lot of godly pastors, watching from a distance. But one thing I've learned is that Bible college will give you a lot of tools. But like I said last night, prayer is something you have to learn on your own. One of the things about West Coast Baptist College, if you have to list probably the top five things, because there's so many things. One of the top things about West Coast Baptist College it distinguishes it and just they've worked very hard at this Dr. Chapel, Dr. Getch, Dr. R on and on and on is the importance of having a right spirit you have to learn that on your own you have to learn how to walk in the spirit so that you don't fulfill the lust of flesh you're going to learn about it but you have to practice it and we're gonna see something tonight that kind of just goes with what, what I spoke about last night about the kind of spirit that get God's attention. The kind of spirit, as we'll see in Isaiah 66 verses one and two, where God looks upon that man and that woman. And he makes his face to shine upon us. Read with me, if you would, please. If you'll go down to Isaiah 66, we'll just read two verses tonight. Verse one, Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne, And the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath my hand made. And you have to go back to chapter 65, lean to chapter 66 to understand what God's saying there. It's the Lord speaking. For all those things hath my hand made, and all those things have been, been, saith the Lord. But to this man... Will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. If you'll indulge me for just a few minutes tonight, I want to preach to you a message entitled, Crushed to Dust. Crushed to Dust. Father, this evening, thank you for these opening days of West Coast Baptist College the thousands of hours of preparation that went into today. So that students could be assimilated into the school system as quickly as possible with as much ease and incredible amount of love and concern and organization, administration and structure. But Lord, beyond all the planning, thank you, Lord, for the many thousands of hours a prayer that went into the opening days of the school. I thank you for the student body here. We know that even, Lord, you're working in hearts. perhaps the students that may just wind up matriculating into here in the next couple more days. And we're praying for that. God, in these days when Jesus might come, we pray that we would move with a sense of urgency, a sense of reminder that we're here on a mission, and that mission is to fulfill your mission To go ye and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever you have commanded us. And just a promise where the Lord says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. What a comfort. What a consolation. What an encouragement to us to know that, God, you're with us. But, Lord, there's some things we must learn in these early days and some things we must grasp. And take complete ownership in, Lord, in order to have your face shine upon us, and the power of God, and the blessing of heaven upon us. I pray that every one of us would thirst and hunger after righteousness. I pray that every one of us would greatly desire the fullness of the Spirit and the power of God. I need it tonight. Lord, I, I just don't, I just feel like right now I'm so weak, I'm so inadequate, and so incapable, and so inarticulate. Lord, I need you like I've never needed you before. But we need you tonight. We need you as a body here this evening. We need God's power. You're moving this evening so that, Lord, there's a spirit of revival that would just completely carry over for this entire semester. A revival in our heart. A stirring about new things. A desire, Lord, to do the will of God. A desire to go the extra mile, to go a little further, as we said last night. Father, would you take the message and I pray that you would embed it deeply into my heart and from my heart to the hearts of the students. And I pray that the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, our Lord Jesus Christ, would make us perfect, complete, to do all the will of God. We pray this evening, may your perfect will be done. Help me to speak this evening again as it be the oracles of God. we we'll thank you for all this now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The book of Isaiah is called the Bible in Miniature. So we get to Isaiah chapter sixty-six. We notice that as we actually we start with Isaiah sixty, going all the way to Isaiah chapter sixty-six, it's the Lord who's speaking to His people. The context of what we see here, beginning in chapter sixty-five, is we're looking at the millennial period, the one thousand-year reign of Christ. There's some things that the Lord is describing through Isaiah to give to His people here, and it begins in chapter sixty-six, in verse one, by talking about this. He says, "Thus saith the Lord." the heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool, where is the house that you build unto me, and where is the place of my rest? Now, the Lord in the context here is talking about the millennial period, and if you know your Bible, you know in Ezekiel chapter 40 to 48, it talks about there's going to be a temple during that millennial period, and in that temple, of course, our Lord Jesus Christ will be It'll be a rulership by our Lord and He will rule the entire world and, and He'll be the king there ruling from there from Jerusalem. But there'll be a temple there and all the nations of the world will converge there for the worship of God. And uh, many will go out. In fact, we read about this in chapter 66. there will be those that God sends out to bring these people of the world, these nations that are approved by God and are saved and they're going to be coming into Jerusalem for the worship of God. And God makes mention here about this about this temple to some degree. But, but notice in verse 1, one here the focus is here not so much on the temple but on the glory of God. You see, God God was concerned as he's writing this that, that the people didn't get caught up with buildings and things that they made with their hands, but they'd remember that the temple, the essence of the temple was to give glory to God. And so he says here, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build unto me? Now that house would be built. That house would be there during the millennial period. But God wanted something a little bit more than that. Because we go back and remember that Solomon built The very first temple. When Solomon was done with that that great construction process, it was all completed and done. We get over to 1 Kings chapter 8, and Solomon is praying to the Lord, and Solomon makes this, this statement there that's found in 1 Kings chapter 8. And that's repeated by by Stephen there in Acts chapter seven, verses forty and forty-nine. And it goes like this: He says uh, he came to this conclusion. He said this. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. How much less this house that I build it he came to this conclusion that we can build magnificent structures and magnificent buildings, and we can have incredible architecture, but where God delights to dwell in, He doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. And so he mentions that here and we go on later on, he says, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool and where is the house that you build unto me and where is the place of my rest and of course Stephen is repeating this in his sermon that he preaches in Acts chapter 7, and Stephen says this in Acts seven forty-eight. he says, how be it the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands. And the essence of what God is saying here is God is greater than buildings. But there's a place that God dwells. And that place that God dwells is the temple of the Holy Spirit, you and I. The place God dwells We find satisfaction. The moment you and I get saved, He dwells with you and I. He doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. He dwells within you and I. God is pleased to dwell in us and to work in us. And one of the greatest things you'll learn in Bible college while you're here is you walk with God in prayer. You walk with God in His Word. is learning the essence of God's presence in your life. But there's something even greater than that because notice this. We go down to verse 2. And God makes this statement in the latter part of verse 2. He says, actually, in verse the first part, For all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. And he's talking about this millennial kingdom and, and about this temple. But he's more interested in you and I than he is in buildings. Thank God for buildings. We, they're a tool to get people in here. I remember the, the dedication of this auditorium. The build-out, was a Friday night. Lancaster Baptist Church had a great banquet. On that afternoon, I arrived here, right over here in this middle section, Dr. Getz was standing there, just excited about the opening of this building. I had just walked in, he said, Brother Fong, good to see you. He said, isn't this great? And this is what Dr. Getz said, It's a tool that God's going to use to bring many people in here to hear the gospel and get saved. And God has used us as a tool. But God wants to use you and me. More than He wants to use a building, He wants to use you and me. But to get to that place, look at the latter part of verse 2. But to this man will I look even to him that is of a poor and a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. Now the OS is what we're going to see tonight is how to be a man, a woman, that has God's blessing, whose face God looks upon. Don't you want God's blessing? Don't you want God to use you? Don't you want God's presence in your life? Don't you want to know that when you come boldly to the throne of grace, and by the way, aren't you glad it's a throne of grace, not a throne of justice? Aren't you glad when you got saved, and changed from being a throne of judgment to a throne of grace, where you can come to find grace and mercy to help in time of need? Amen. A place, a man or woman, that God can use, that God can pour His power through. D.L. Moody would change his ministries when he heard, the world is yet to see what God can do through one man, totally and wholly committed unto him. And so God says here, to this man will I look a man or woman God can pour out His power and blessing on. I want you to see four things about this tonight. Number one, would you consider with me the search? God is on a search. God is on a search. To this man will I look. To this man will I give attention. To this man will I gaze my eyes upon. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout all the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of Him of, the, of him, them whose heart is perfect towards him. I mean, God is on a search. We know from the book of Jeremiah. He told Jeremiah, run ye to and fro through the streets to see if you can find a man. God is looking for a man. God is looking for someone that, that can use him, that, that God can use. The eyes of the Lord run to and throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on the behalf of he, them whose heart is perfect towards him now I don't know if you ever found the thought but God is searching for someone he can use someone who can have consistent answers to prayer someone who can show his power through that he can build a church through someone that can exercise great faith in him someone that he can show his greatness to someone that will he can demonstrate what faith can do someone who can see that God can make a way through a Red Sea someone that he can see that even though he's greatly outnumbered he can overcome a troop someone he, that he looks at who can pray and get hold of the power of God the eyes of the Lord look to and fro throughout the whole earth a man whose heart is perfect towards him God says here in Isaiah 66 2 but to this man will I look even to him that is of a poor and a contrite spirit now there's three things God is looking for in verse 2 someone who's poor Someone who's contrite in spirit and someone who trembeth at his word. Now God's on a search. God is searching through this college. He's trying to find someone that he's going to use. Someone that will meet the requirements that God has. That God can bless him on the mission field. That God can bless him in starting a church. That God can bless him in his prayer chamber. That God can bless him as he's out sowing. That God can bless him as a teacher in a Christian school. You fill in the blank, wherever it is in Christian service you can be, God is looking for men. My question for you tonight, will you be that man? Will you be that woman, or are you just going to fill up time and just kind of go through the motions? Or are you desiring today to have this craving, this hunger, this desire for God? To use you. There's the surge. but notice number two, we see the state. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? What does it mean to be to have a contrite spirit? What does it mean to tremble at the Word of God? The Lord is referring to a condition, a spiritual state that is critical for us to have. In fact, we must have this kind of spirit. It's critical that we have this kind of spirit. First of all, notice the word poor. He's not talking about poor financially, although it could be implied that. He's not talking about being poor financially. He's not talking about being poor in physical resources, though that you might feel that way after paying your first bill, amen? It's realizing how spiritually destitute you are. Hey, it's realizing spiritually you have zero value without God. It's realizing tonight you are helpless, powerless, inept, inadequate, impotent, useless, if you don't have what God requires. It is realizing tonight you're in the basement. You're at the bottom of a well that is run dry. How many of you can identify with being poor in spirit? Not many of us, not many of us. How many can identify with being beggarly spiritually? Now park on that, there's a second word. Notice the word contrite, a contrite spirit. Poor means to be afflicted, needy, wretched, being under extreme humility. Contrite, write this down. Contrite means to be broken, crushed, humbled, beaten to pieces. It has the idea of a rock being pulverized into pieces. Then those pieces are pulverized even further and crushed until they become dust. This is you and me right now. This is you and me right now. When we're contrite, this is where God wants us to be. He wants to go from this to this. Crush to dust. Have you ever seen a building demolition? Have you ever seen a building that's high and built up, brought down to the ground? I'd like you to see a video with me for just a moment. Do we have that video, man? Three, two, one. Fire. Nice job, team. It took a year probably to put the building up matter seconds it came down we can get to the place in life we can get our degrees we can be very accomplished we can be very musically talented we can be extremely articulate some of you may have great minds and great ability to make money and you might go on maybe God will use you to make money and your net worth will go from little to a little bit more, to a little bit more, to a little bit more, to a little bit more. We get this place, I tell my church this all the time, I've got a lot of professionals in my church. We go from acumen to accumulations. And then we think, I've arrived. And we think that we're somewhere. And we go from the place where we become a Christian, and we barely can find the books of the Bible. But now we're making progress. We know all 66 books of the Bible. We actually know the plan of salvation. We can kind of guess, Dr. Getch opens the Word of God, and we can kind of guess where he's going to go with it. Or Dr. Shetler, as he preached this morning, we can kind of guess where he's going to go with the message. And we get this place, we can just say, you know what? I think I've arrived, and I'm there. But God says this, but to this man, to this man, will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit. This is us here. This is how we are. This is how we get when we're not on our face before God. This is how we get when we're not frequently at the altar. This is how we get when we're not in the Word of God on a continuous basis and we cry and we weep when God speaks to us. We're not doing that like we used to. But when we get to this, we get to this place in life where God is working our heart, we go from this to this, to this man, God says, will I look? Remember the story about Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel 9? Let me remember the story about Mephibosheth. All right, raise your hand. Okay. In Mephibosheth, if you remember the story, he was the son of Jonathan. David made a pact with Jonathan. They made a covenant. David remember, when everything was done and settled. He says, you know, is there anyone left of the household of Jonathan or Saul that I can, or Jonathan that I can show favor to? He found out that Jonathan had a young son by the name of Mephibosheth. What we know Mephibosheth for is the fact that the Bible tells us three distinct times that this young man was lame on his feet. As a very young child, he fell. He became crippled. He became uh, just, the Bible says he was lame. And basically, he could not walk normally. Uh, He was crippled. He was, uh, you might say, smitten. He was afflicted, because that's what it means. He had a permanent injury. He could never run normal like other people could run. Uh, He could not walk very quickly. He could not jump. He could not participate in athletic activities. I mean, he was lame on both his feet. He was ashamed of himself. He wound up living down in a place called Lodabar with a man named Mesher. I mean, he was just in a very, very bad situation like. life. Did you know that the word for lame that is being used from Mephibosheth is the same word here in Isaiah 66 too, that we find for the word contrite? Being contrite means spiritually you're lame, that you realize that you're useless, that you realize in your own power you're not gonna go very far, That you're realize that you're not, that there's just some things you cannot do. It's being like Mephibosheth, we're being lame in, in our, in, just being, understand that we're lame spiritually in that sense. God is looking for men. He's looking for women. He's looking for believers who are poor and contrite in spirit. Men and women who are at the end of themselves. Men who realize that they are beggarly, bankrupt, and powerless. Men that realize they have nothing and are nothing without God. Men that realize they've come to a place that they're crushed, to dust. Where they realize that's all that they are and nothing else. And it's kind of like going back to the day of creation when God made man. He made him out of dirt and he breathed life into him. It's realizing we're nothing apart from God. Men that have feel that they have come to a place in life that they're pulverized to dust. Men who are like Mephibosheth, lame on both feet. Men who realize for their very existence they need to cling to God and God alone for their life. You see tonight, a contrite spirit is what we need if we're going to have forgiveness of sins. and a a A contrite spirit is a state we must be in for revival of our hearts, revival of our churches, and revival of our homes. A contrite spirit is a state we must be in when we come and enter to the presence of God for worship. A contrite spirit is a state we must be in when we sin under the preaching of God's Word. Look again in verse 2. To this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit. And notice he says, and trembleth at my word. God wants you and I to be at this place with such a hunger, such a fear, that we have a reverence for God's Word in such a way, we tremble at the preaching, the very mention of the Word of God, we're trembling at that. How many remember the story there in Jeremiah 36 about a king by the name of Jehoiakim? God gave the prophet Jeremiah a prophecy. He told a scribe to write down this prophecy which talked about the Babylonian captivity, how Nebuchadnezzar would come in and how he said that some would die by the famine, some would die by the sword, others would be taken captive. It was a repeat message God gave over and over again through Jeremiah. This time it was written down, down on a scroll, and then it was given to a man who brought it into the king, and the princes heard it, and they trembled at it. They said the king needs to hear this message. It was brought into King Jehoiakim. He had someone read it and some of his, his men with him, and as the word of God was being read, read, read to them, this man by the name of Jehudi read, read it. King Jehoiakim took a penknife, the Bible says, and he took one page of the scroll, he decimated it, he cut it up, and he threw it into a fire. He took another piece of the scroll, he decimated it, he cut it up, and he threw it into fire. This man, King Jehoiakim, disrespected the Word of God, did not tremble at God's Word. In fact, by doing so, he blasphemed God's Word and God Himself. And sometimes, you know, we can come to church and get so used to the, the, just the, the structure of how things are going. We have chapel, then we have Wednesday night service, and we have Bible studies, and we have dorm, dorm devotions, and we can go to Sunday morning and Sunday night services and all that. We can get to the place where our spirit is a little tired, and we may be sitting next to our friend, and we find ourselves gravitating, we're distracted by our iPad or something on our phone, Distracted by, distracted by a note that someone's passing on to us, and we get this place where, like King Jehoiakim, maybe not the same extreme, but we have a disrespect for God's word. And the Bible says, To this man who's of a poor and a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word, this is the man that I look at. The question I want to ask you tonight God is on the search, but do you have the state? Are you crushed? to dust? Are you at this place realizing, I'm really nobody without God, and I realize tonight that my heart is heavy, and there's some things in my life that I need God to deal with. Are we at this place in life, even at these beginning days of college, they're realizing we must be crushed to dust? Now, there's a search. There's a stage. But you notice the steps. How do we get there? How do you get there? Look at Psalms 51. Let me give you some thoughts about Psalms 51. You might turn to it. In Psalms 51, verse 18, David said this The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite or crushed to dust heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Let me tell you the steps. Write this down. Number one. We must be grieved over our sins, even as God is grieved over them. In verses 1 to 4, David uses some very choice words to describe his condition. If you know your Bible, you know that david these were the words of David after he'd sinned against Bathsheba, the sin of Bathsheba, and the murder of Uriah, and all the things that went with that. Nathan the prophet came to him, told him what was going on. David was in a just a bad place in life at that moment. He just felt so broken because he realized what he did. But notice in verses 1 to 4, David uses the words transgression, iniquity, and sin. I don't know if you ever saw this before. He uses three different words for sin to describe how bad he felt about it. All three of those words describe the specific sins David committed. Um, Adultery, cover-up conspiracy, lying, murder, self-righteousness, Stumbling block to others. You can list probably two or three other sins. But all of those describe. David, when he said he was transgressions, he was talking about more than just crossing a forbidden line. David was saying, you know, I'm no different than a pagan. I'm no different. I'm a lawbreaker. I've broken the law. I'm, I'm, I'm someone that's very depraved in my heart and what I did there. He was talking about himself as being a lawbreaker and out of bounds and being wicked. You know, we must come to the, in order to have a contrite heart, we must be grieved over our sins just as God is grieved. I remember Dr. Getsch back in college. I think I shared this with you years ago. I was in college, and I was in secular college, but I'd gotten a copy. Somebody provided a copy of the Sword of the Lord to me back in those days, and I got a subscription to that, and Dr. Rice at that time was still the editor. And I started buying some of Dr. Rice's books, and I remember one particular book. I don't remember the title, but one particular book was just reading about just some of the messages he preached during those revival times. And one thought gripped my heart that just really got a hold of me as a 19-year-old. Because that was the fact that I just realized I had never had grieved over my sins as God grieves over them. And what David is saying here in verses one to four, step number one, we must realize, we must be grieved over our sins as God is when, to have a contrite spirit. Notice secondly, look at Psalms 51, six. This is good. Number two, look at verse six. He says, behold thou desirest truth in the inward parts. Now David wasn't truthful. David had lied to people, he covered up. He believed his own lie. And the Bible says, Now David came to the realization, Thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Now what's he saying there? Okay. Number two, we must come clean before God. We must come to God in complete and total honesty. To have a contrite spirit, you must be grieved. But secondly, you must come to God clean. You must come with a with a heart of realizing you're totally honest before God. God desires truth in the inward part. You know came to that realization? Jonah the prophet came to that realization. Jonah's in the belly of a whale. We have the prayer of Jonah there, a prayer of revival that Jonah prays, uh, prays to the Lord. They're in the belly of a whale in Jonah chapter 2. And Jonah made this remarkable statement in Jonah 2 8. He says, They that observe lying vanities. Forsake their own mercies. Very powerful verse. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercies. You know, Jonah came to the realization, just like David, they came to the place when they, were, when they weren't contrite, when they were hard, when they were like this, when they needed to be like this. He came to the realization, I was believing my own lies. You can believe the lie that you think you're really doing okay. You can think, well, you know what? Let somebody else go down the aisle, let somebody else make the decision. But God says to this man, will I look who is poor and has a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. We need to stop believing the lies of the devil and we need to stop believing our own lies. And we must realize today we must come clean before God. Step number three. We must be grieved. We must be truthful before God. But number three, we must recognize afflictions in our life. Remember, the word poor means afflictions. Afflictions in our life are God's means of helping us to see that we're lame in our feet, and He's breaking us to pieces so that our spirit is crushed to dust. David came to that realization. In Psalms 3419, he said this, many are the afflictions of the righteous. The word afflictions is the same word we get our word contrite for, or poor. He's realizing the trials, the difficulties. God puts difficulties in our lives, not because he hates us, not because he's being mean to us, but because he loves us. Because he wants to get us to this place of realizing to get God's power, we must meet God on his terms there. Number four, would you write this down? Step one, we must be grieved over our sins. Step number two, we must come clean before God. Step number three, we must understand that afflictions in our life. Listen, right now, some of you are facing difficulties and pressures right now. How am I going to pay my school bill? Will I get a job? Your your faith is being tested. You're you're just, you know, you're going through these situations. Deep down inside, you're missing home. You're homesick, whatever it may be. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but God puts that in our life to help us realize we're lame on our feet. But notice number four, the way of a contrite spirit is coming to God as a beggar. Just like Mephibosheth was allowed to come into the presence of David. And I realize there's a salvation application But Mephibosheth had the privilege of being ushered into the presence of David. David gave him the invitation. And he came, shuffling his feet. He didn't come very fast. He couldn't walk fast. He couldn't come very quickly. He came the best he could. But he came just as he was. And David accepted him. The way of a contrite spirit is coming to God as a beggar. Listen to this, Psalms 34. Psalms 34, 6. This poor man cried. And the Lord heard him. Psalms 34, 18. The Lord is nigh unto them that have a broken heart and save as such as be of a contrite spirit. The way from this to this. We must be grieved. We must come clean. We must accept the afflictions in our life as God's way of breaking us down to dust. And number four, we must understand. We must come to God as a beggar. Well, where does that lead us? Well, we see a search. We see a state. We see the steps. Let me finish by telling you this. Would you notice the satisfaction? The Bible says, To this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. Let me give you some things that we're done tonight. Number one, you have the satisfaction of God's favor. Remember Mephibosheth? Lame on both feet? You know the best part about that? You go to the end of the chapter, it says this, So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both his feet. Hey, glory to God, you might be lame at your feet, but Jesus invites you to the table. Amen? You get to feast with our Lord. He was lame on his feet. He could not do anything of his own, but can you imagine? He promised Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, someone else will take care of the gardening. Someone else will take care of the agriculture, but you are invited to eat at the king's table. Not everyone could eat at the king's table. He said, Mephibosheth, I know you're lame on your feet. Mephibosheth, I know that you're crippled. Mephibosheth, I know that you're permanently injured. Mephibosheth, I know that you don't walk fast. Mephibosheth, I know you're ashamed of your feet, and you're ashamed of your legs, and you're ashamed of your situation. But he said, listen, the king invited you. You can come right now. You can dine at my table. You have my favor. You can come all the time. I'm not going to exclude you. You're invited to the table. Remind you tonight when you have God's favor in your life. You're invited to the table. You have God's fellowship. The Lord is nigh unto them that have a broken heart and save as such if it be a contrite spirit. Last night I mentioned about my wife when she got her diagnosis, first diagnosis about cancer. They scheduled the surgery out a few months later, because a few months out, they said, well, we think it's early stages, and this is the earliest we can get on the calendar, and be honest with you, I'm just, I'm a nervous wreck at that moment of time, because I'm just really concerned for her, and my mind was going wild with all these different things. You know, it's one thing to counsel and help people who have a serious illness, but to know some, your own family member has it. I mean, you're just, you're just really not really sure what to do, and you're not really thinking very clearly. At least I wasn't. We had planned on a vacation. I planned on a vacation that we'd go away for a few hours from where we we live in California, and we arrived there, and be real honest with you, we were a beautiful location, resort, but I was a miserable person for about several days. About the fourth day, I was waking up every morning early. I was tossing and turning and went to pray. Finally, it was a Thursday morning. Remember this. It was a Thursday morning, 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning. God was saying, Alan, you need to get up and spend time with me. I got up. I didn't want to wake up my wife. I went into the restroom, the only place I could find that was quiet. I closed the door behind me. I shut the toilet lid, got on my face on the floor mat, and I prayed. And I prayed. And I prayed. All I remember is this. I knew it was time to get off my knees several hours later. Just like Jacob, as the sun was about to go up. And the angel of God touched him. And I don't know how to describe this to you. I had read about it before, about praying through and breakthroughs in prayer. But I spent time with God. And I begged God for my wife and I pleaded with him for things. And I said, God, I don't know what to do. I don't even know how to pray. I said, Lord, I don't even know if I'm making sense to you. As a sun was coming up that morning in Hawaii. A peace swept over me I had never experienced before other than being saved. There was a breakthrough. I was just God put his hand on my shoulder and said, son, everything's gonna be fine. I knew at that moment of time, God said, you, you don't need to pray anymore, it's settled. It's a done deal, I'm gonna take care of your wife. And he did, praise God for that. He did. God's fellowship, there's a closeness. You spend time with God, there's nothing like closeness with God. He's nigh unto them of a broken heart. Listen to what he said about this in Isaiah 57, 15. Listen. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. That's just wonderful right there. Amen. Whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. Listen. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive The spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite one. Do you know God's saying there? He doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. He wants to dwell in you. He wants to fellowship with you. He wants to empower you. He says, I dwell in the high and lofty place, but with him also there's of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and revive the heart of the contrite ones. Number one, God's favor. Number two, God's fellowship. Number three, God's freedom. Listen to this. The Bible says in Psalms 34, 18, And God save us such as be of a contrite spirit. And he says in verse 19, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivered them out of them all. When, you, when you're overcome and overwhelmed with these things, you feel like, I don't want to say you're in bondage, but you just feel like this heaviness. There's a freedom God gives you when you have a contrite heart and a contrite spirit. A freedom, He says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivered them of them all. He said in the previous verse, he said, and the Lord save us such as be of a contrite heart. But one last thing, we're done. You have God's fullness. Look at Matthew 5, 3. God shows himself strong on behalf of those who have a contrite heart and spirit. Matthew 5, 3, I'm going to pull it all together and we're done. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven. Watch this and we're done. When you're poor in spirit, you're crushed to dust, when you realize you're not this, but you're this, yours is the kingdom of heaven. The resources of God, the power of the Lord, the greatness of his presence, The working of God through preaching. The working of God through our weaknesses. The resources of heaven being available to us. God uses our little and makes it much. God supplies all our needs. God enables us to do things through Christ who strengthens. I'm saying today, he says in his word, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Listen, as you've heard many times, you'll hear many more times, the way up is first the way down. We meet with God. Tonight, the invitation is very simple. Are you willing to pay the price to be crushed to dust? Do you want to be that man or that woman to whom the Lord will look, who is poor and contrite in spirit, who trembles at his word? You're gonna hear that in college, but you have to experience it on your own. These men of God cannot give it to you. You have to do it for yourself. I will promise you this according to God's word. If you just would come and be crushed to dust and allow yourself to have that spirit of realizing you're nothing without God, just like that tall building that that went through demolition and it came down in a plume of smoke. Many times we have to realize we must confess the sin of pride and our conceitedness and arrogance and recognize that God needs to bring us down in order for us to go up. Would you be willing to be crushed to dust, pulverized, broken in pieces, so the Lord can use you? Well, listen, there might be just one or two that a year from now, Two years from now, three years from now, four years from now, because you made that decision to be crushed to dust, the Lord's going to use you. If you're wondering why your prayers aren't being answered, here it is. If you're wondering why there's no power, here it is. If you're wondering why you're struggling with sin, here it is. If you want to know why there's relational conflicts, here it is. You name it, you name it, whatever it may be. We must be from this, go from this, to over this. Let's stand let bow our heads. Dr. Getch, I'm gonna give you the invitation. Would you come this evening and tell the Lord, God, I need to be crushed to dust. Lord, that's the kind of spirit that I need. Won't you come right now, Dr. Getch?